This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I hope and trust that you are all well. Before I get started, I would like to give a very special shout-out to the reformed members of Back to Ashes, Tavia S., Tina Mead, Cindy Cleveland, Patty's niece, Samantha Place, and Interscare Wifey. The rest of the family will be listed right here on your screen. If you would like to become a member of Back to Ashes, and if you like what you are hearing and would like to buy me a coffee, which would be appreciated, you can find all that information down in the description box. Now, with all that being said, it is time to go back to ashes. For when we arise from the ashes, we are a bigger, brighter, stronger, and happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in and get warm, and prepare for this dose of vocal melatonin entitled True Backwood Creepy Stories. Right after this intro and ad will play, I'll read the first story and ad will play. After that, there will be no more ads within this video. Back in 2013, I was vacationing in the Smokies with my family. We decided to go to the Elkmont abandoned campground to explore. If you're not familiar, it's in the Appalachians and is an old campground in Elkmont that's been abandoned for years, demolished in 2018. After exploring a few of the abandoned houses, I decided to take a picture of the last house we were going to explore. I had taken a few other pictures with my phone already, and I'd never had any issues with my phone's camera for the six months I've owned it. As I was taking the picture, my phone's screen started to glitch, and the screen became tiny vertical lines, the rainbow colors that old-school TVs played while off-air. I was with my cousin, and I showed it to her. We were both creeped out, and I felt that I shouldn't try taking any pictures again. I was also anxious that my phone was messed up and I dreaded having to buy a new one. We got in the car, and when I checked my phone camera, it was fine. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. And the glitch never happened again for the two years I had that cell phone. It is my honest opinion that there was something in that campground that did not want me to take any more pictures. I need answers. 
I might have ran into something weird in the Sierra Nevadas. So me and my girlfriend decided to go spend the night far out in the Sierras. I'd only camped at that spot two times before, but I grew up hunting and fishing all through the ice house area. I've spent a lot of time deep in the high Sierras, and I've never run into anything supernatural or out of the ordinary. I've seen and heard plenty of bears, mountain lions, coyotes, and other animals, but the other night, me and my girlfriend were laying down, watching a downloaded movie on the laptop, when we heard a mountain lion scream. It was a female mating call. And I think, no biggie, I'll just scare it away. I also carry a 9mm. It's midnight and I take the flashlight out and start yelling and getting big to scare it off. It returns with more screams and a growl. I eventually get my light on it, and it completely froze. I mean dead, still. Not a single movement. I shot the tree next to it from about 40 feet away to try to scare it off. And nothing. It didn't budge. So I had my girlfriend unlock the car and get in. But we couldn't find the keys at that point. I moved the flashlight to help her with the keys. I heard it scream again, this time within 25 feet. I shot another round off and it just screamed and got closer. We found the keys and hopped in the car, but my wallet and phone were both in the tent. So after gathering some balls to get them, I hop out and slowly walk backward towards the tent. As soon as I get to the tent, it screams again and I yell back at it, and it just screams again, this time much closer. So I ran back to the car. As soon as I got in the car, the mountain lion went quiet, not a peep after that. The only thing to note is the bugs didn't go quiet. There were also deer up on the ridge behind us that were unaffected by the gunshots. Not only that, but a mountain lion that seemed to be healthy was unafraid of gunshots. In all my life, I've never ran into an animal that I had to scare away. Not run from the sound of a gun, it was super unsettling. So we spent the night in a parking lot in my car. If anyone could clue me in or give me something to work with, I'm at a loss. I thought I might as well run this across some other fellow outdoorsman before I ditch a conclusion. I grew up in a small town in western Massachusetts. It was a sleepy little community, and not much happened in the way of excitement. But this weekend, we were going camping. It was Memorial Day weekend, and I had just turned 11. We got to the campground and got set up. We mainly were by ourselves and only saw a few other families along the trail on the way to our campsite. It was peaceful, and after a long day of setting up and getting situated, I was ready to crash out in my tent. Help me. Help me. Run. Oh, God, help me. I woke up like an alarm had gone off. I could hear this woman screaming at the top of her lungs. She came running into our campsite and was utterly hysterical with fear. My parents approached her to ask if she was hurt and offered her help. 
but she pushed past me and kept running, all the while screaming and sobbing. We followed her to the ranger station, as did a few other people from nearby campsites. She woke up the entire campground with her screaming. I remember the police showed up and all the flashing blue and red lights. The two officers were standing around her as the paramedics wrapped her in a blanket. She kept saying the same thing over and over again. It's a werewolf. I I saw it. It it was a werewolf. Oh, God. Oh, God. I remember the paramedics loading her up in the ambulance and it driving away. A few more cop cars showed up and the police began searching through the woods. My dad told me to get back in the tent and go to sleep. I don't know what else happened after that. Sometimes I still talk about that night with my parents. We all remember it. It still gives us goosebumps. I don't know what that girl saw in the woods that night, but I hope I don't find out. I was black powder hunting alone on private property. The property has gated entrance and I parked my four-wheeler there and normally walked in the remaining 150 to 200 yards to my elevated deer stand. As I shut my four-wheeler off and put on my backpack, I heard a very large limb snap and thought it was a deer or animal moving around maybe 20 yards away. So I didn't think anything about it, gathered my gun and hunting stuff and started walking down the two-track trail without my flashlight on due to having good enough light from the moon to see where I was walking. I hunted here a long time and knew the trail. This trail ended in a 15-acre hayfield surrounded by old-growth timber. As I walked in the dark, I quickly realized something was paralleling me every step just inside the woods. I walked and stopped, and it would do the same. By the time I realized it, it was too late to go back to the four-wheeler, so I picked up my pace and made a beeline for my deer stand. When I got within ten yards from the stand, I heard another large limb snap really close to the edge of the field on my left. I stopped, turned my flashlight on, and shined it in that direction. I seen two glowing green eyes about ten inches apart. Instinctively, I raised my rifle and stomped my foot at it, not really sure what I was seeing. It just blinked its eyes once and never moved. I could not make out any details, just that it may have crouched down due to the proximity of the eyes to the ground. When whatever this was didn't run like most non-predatory animals would do, I realized in that instant the best thing to do was bolt up my ladder and get in the stand as quickly as possible. This, whatever it was, was no more than eight steps away, and if I shot at it, I would have been blinded by the muzzle flash, and it might attack if I missed in the dark. The rest of the time I waited in the stand for daybreak. It circled my stand just out of light shine. Approximately one minute before daybreak, I heard it go into the woods where it had followed me from. 
I waited until daylight and quickly made my way back to my four-wheeler. As I jumped on the machine and just before I fired it up, I heard another branch or limb snap loudly. I left the area and went back home and cut the week-long hunt short and didn't return until the following spring. I've never hunted the same way again since and rarely go in before or after dark on foot. I've since sold that property and hunt in my home, state of Indiana. My friend and I were walking our dogs where the old sanitarium used to be. Now it is a wooded area on the edge of town. It always felt a little creepy to me. My Roddy lab cross, Susie Q, always wanted to take this certain path, but it was usually swampy, so I wouldn't let her. One day, in the fall, it dried up, so this time I let her go and followed. We found bedsheets made into a noose hanging from a tree. It looked really creepy, and I took a picture of it. There was also a rotting mattress and garbage strewn about. Very weird vibe there, and I did not like it at all. Fast forward to the following summer. Again, my friend and I were walking the dogs. When we came to the fork in the path where Susie Q always wanted to go, I heard voices. It was that of an old man, 60s or so. His voice sounded rather gravelly, with two young girls around 10 years old. They were on the path but turned back going in deeper into the woods to the place where I saw the noose. I stopped and wondered if I should do something. It just felt wrong. My friend told me to forget it and kept walking. As I stood there wrestling with my conscience and wondering if I should call the cops because it seemed inappropriate, I heard rustling noises in the bushes behind me. Turning, I saw a young girl about 11 or 12. She had lots of freckles and stringy red hair that hung to her shoulders. Her head was down and she was looking at me through her bangs. She was wearing a red striped t-shirt, jeans, and runners. Her hands hung by her sides and fists, and that was when I noticed she had a red Victoria Knox knife in her right hand, with the blade out. She kept walking towards me with this weird look, not saying anything. I thought to myself, gee, am I going to have to fight a little girl? One with a freaking knife? Just then, Susie Q came bounding back with the other dog, Dory, and the little girl stepped backwards back into the bush without taking her eyes off of me until she disappeared into the foliage. I caught up with my friend, moving rather quickly, and told him what had happened. He agreed it was freaking weird and we headed back home, but I still think about that day and wonder what the hell it was all about. The Chupacabra The story behind the Chupacabra phenomena is a fascinating tale that emerged in the late 20th century, specifically in Puerto Rico. 
The term chupacabra translates to goat sucker in Spanish, and it refers to a creature that allegedly attacks and kills livestock, particularly goats, by draining their blood. The chupacabra legend began in the early 1990s when reports of mysterious animal attacks started circulating in Puerto Rico. Farmers and residents discovered their livestock dead with puncture marks on their bodies and completely drained of blood. The media picked up on these accounts and soon the story spread throughout the island and beyond. Descriptions of the chupacabra varied but a common depiction emerged as a creature roughly the size of a small bear or large dog with reptilian-like skin, spines, or quills on its back, red glowy eyes, fangs, and a long tongue. Some witnesses claimed it could hop or fly short distances. As the reports gained attention, the chupacabra phenomenon expanded beyond Puerto Rico. Similar sightings and livestock killings were reported in other Latin American countries, such as Mexico, Chile, and Argentina, as well as in parts of the United States, primarily in the southwestern states like Texas and New Mexico. The chupacabra became a source of intrigue and fear, with some people even speculating that it was an extraterrestrial or a government experiment gone wrong. Various theories and urban legends were born, fueling the mystery surrounding the creature. In reality, the Chupacabra sightings can be attributed to a combination of factors. The original reports in Puerto Rico were likely influenced by the widespread belief in supernatural creatures and legends in the region. As the story spread, it is possible that some cases of animal attacks possibly by feral dogs or other predators, were misinterpreted or embellished to fit the chupacabra narrative. Furthermore, the chupacabra gained more attention and notoriety due to media coverage, which led to an increase in reported sightings. In some cases, the creatures found and identified as chupacabras turned out to be known animals with mange or other diseases that altered their appearance. While the chupacabra phenomenon has persisted and become part of popular culture, skepticism remains regarding its existence as a distinct creature. Many experts and scientists attribute the reported sightings to a combination of misidentification, folklore, and urban legends. In conclusion, the story behind the chupacabra phenomena is a captivating mix of folklore, media attention, and sensationalism. It originated in Puerto Rico in the early 1990s, but its reach expanded to other countries, causing intrigue and fear amongst the public. While the legend of the Chupacabra continues to captivate people's imaginations, the evidence supporting its existence as a unique creature remains elusive. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a child or young teen, I lived a very strange situation in the woods. I am not sure if this encounter may have been some kind of entity or perhaps something different. I hope someone can give me more information about what happened to me and my friend. I was around 12 years old at the time and one of my best friends, let's call him Alex, must have been 10. Alex's father had purchased a large amount of forested land around 100 kilometers away from the city we lived in, Montreal, Canada. It was all forest when Alex's family acquired it. They cleared a little patch to build a house, and the rest was pure, unadulterated forest. Their land was cut into two by a dirt road that, if you followed it for several kilometers, led to a few houses, and their land was very different depending on which side of the dirt road you looked. On the right side, where their house was, the forest was light and luminous, or at least it felt that way. It was not too dense, with little rolling hills, a lovely place to play. On the left side of the road, though, it was another story. First, there was a deep ditch, perhaps two meters deep, which then became a quite high steep hill. Weirdly enough, all along the long road, the ditch was full of car parts. A set of car wheels here, a door there, a steering wheel way over there all old and overgrown with moss. And over the steep hill, the forest gave off a really bad vibe. It had lots of very tall, dark, coniferous trees with almost black trunks, and the place seemed somehow devoid of life or light. Climbing the hill, which we seldom were willing to do because of the creeps it gave us, there was some sort of swamp there, when we were there, there was this strange pressure. We sensed a kind of animal instinct that told us to leave this place. The strange atmosphere was spontaneously obvious to both me and Alex, and we playfully called that side of the road Demon's Forest. One weekend day, probably in 2001 or 2002, my family and I came to visit Alex's family. Bored by the adults, my friend and I decided to go and play in the forest. Alex's father told us to watch out. There was an animal that had been rummaging in their trash bin and causing other nuisances. He said it was a dog that looked somewhat like a Rottweiler that surely belonged to someone living up the dirt road. He warned us that we shouldn't interact with the dog if we see it, as it didn't look healthy, as far as he could tell or something was weird about it. He said it somehow looked diseased or contagious or had patches of fur missing. I can't remember exactly. And so, we set out on our path. It was autumn and the leaves were pretty and golden, many having already fallen to the ground. It was a calm, slightly overcast, windless day. The air was very still and calm. Alex and I decided to walk along the dirt road with the pleasant section of the forest to our right and Demon's Forest to our left. 
We chatted while following the road as it was rising up a slope. As usual, we were slightly creeped out going up the road because of the weird vibes of the forest to the left, but we were challenging ourselves to be brave and trying to not really think about how unsettling it felt. A good distance away from their home, when it was already well out of sight, I noticed the first strange thing of the day. Out of the steep hill on the left side of the road, there was a very large and dark pine tree hanging over the road. Somebody had attached a pink ribbon to one of the branches, which was already strange since this was the territory of Alex's family and they had no daughters or other little girls likely to hang around, or other people who may be owners of pink ribbons who were likely to hang out on this deserted road. The strange thing was, the ribbon was flailing strongly in the wind. Its loose ends were flapping almost horizontally. The thing is, it was a completely windless day. There was no wind to speak of. The ribbon was within my reach, so I even touched it as it was flailing. I even licked my finger and held it in the air to check if I could feel any wind or air current at all, as my dad had taught me. The day was perfectly still, yet the ribbon failed. I mentioned it to my friend. He seemed distracted and was younger than me and sometimes didn't catch on to what I said, so I didn't press the matter. We continued our climb. We reached a place where the hill on the left side of the road had a gentler slope and began further away from the road. In fact, it looked as if the hill was kind of caved out in a way that would have made it easy for us to climb to get into Demon's Forest. It almost seemed as if the hill was caved out in a sloping half-circle like in a theater, and the road we stood on would have been the stage. It gave us a very clear, treeless view of the hillside, full of golden and red fallen leaves. The tree began at the top of the hill, maybe nine meters higher. We stopped to admire the view. Canadian autumns are a sight to behold. Alex suddenly got really excited. He thought he heard something in the demon woods up the hill, and he really wanted me to pay attention. He explained that there are wildcats in that forest. They had spotted them with his dad. One of them had reportedly had kittens. Kittens being one of the most exciting things in the world for kids our age. Getting us all riled up, but somehow my hackles were up, and I could really relax even thinking about adorable wild kittens. He actually thought he had heard the cat meow in the forest, up the hill close by. I heard nothing of the sort and thought he was just inventing it. He vehemently suggested that we try meowing at it to see if it would respond to us. Maybe it would even bring its kittens along and we could see them and play with them, he said. I hadn't heard any sounds at all and didn't really like this idea of screaming meows in the creepy forest. What kind of wildcat would respond to human children anyway? Wouldn't it be obvious that we are not cats by the sound of us? That seemed like a dumb idea to me. Before I could try to talk him out of it, he loudly meowed into the forest. To my utter shock, 
the forest meowed back. Alex was delighted. He meowed again. Something in the forest answered once more. I was actually shocked. This didn't make sense to me, and it creeped me out. But I suspended my belief to see what would happen. He kept doing meowing over and over. For every one of his meows, there was one coming back in response from the woods. Something felt off to me. Feral or wild animals didn't behave that way. Even at 12 years old, I realized that. And it wasn't an echo. The cat did not bounce back any sound that we threw at it except meows, which it reciprocated immediately. And anyway, there were no hard, rocky surfaces around off of which sound could bounce off of. Everything was covered in a soft layer of sound-dulling leaves. Alex got more excited. Listen, the cat is coming towards us. She's coming to see us with her kittens. To my surprise, he was right. There was a rustle of dead leaves coming from above us, from above the slope in the creepy forest. It seemed like the rustling was getting closer to us. But it was way off because cats are small and light and careful with their steps. They don't make a ruckus when they walk through the woods. But here, the rustling leaves sound was extremely obvious, along with the meowing. And in fact, it sounded more like steps, like someone with two legs walking in the leaves, and it was getting closer to us. My alarm signals were starting to go off with the wrongness of it all, while my younger friend was oblivious. He was calling it more vehemently, noticing that it was coming towards us. Then I realized what seemed so wrong. The sound was coming towards us, but there was nothing to be seen. Right in front of us, we had the gently sloping hill, treeless and clearly visible, Anything coming from the forest should have been plainly exposed to view. There was nothing. No source for the rustling sound. Nothing moving. Oh, her kittens are joining her. Listen, there are more sounds. They're coming to play with us. He was right. The walking sounds seemed to have multiplied and now came from various directions at once ever getting closer with nothing being visible. Something was way off. I wanted to leave, but Alex was getting mad at me. The kittens were almost here and he wanted to see them. He insisted. At this point, it was extremely tense and fight or flight was activating from the wrongness of it all. We were alone and quite exposed on this theater stage too. Whatever was getting closer to us, which was more and more obviously with every moment, decidedly not kittens. I was on the verge to force him to go run home. And then, suddenly, I heard a very loud panting sound. Right at my feet. During the first millisecond, I got only mildly surprised. We had a huge husky at home. I was used to it panting next to my feet. But then, 
a sense of profound dread dawned on me as I realized that, obviously, my dog was not here, and it must be another dog, a very big one, by the sound of it, right at my feet. I panickingly looked down, right to jump away from the dog that somehow got extremely close to me, almost on me, without my noticing. Only, there is absolutely nothing at my feet. But I still hear the loud, breathy, panting sound coming from there. I whirl around, all 360 degrees, screaming. Where is it coming from? There is nothing at my feet, or anywhere around me. There is nothing there. Yet the sound is clearly there. As I whirl about in a frenzy... I look up the dirt road we are following. Around a hundred meters away, of the top of the slope, I see a lone dog standing. It looked somewhat similar to a Rottweiler, but in very, very bad shape. Extremely unkempt, with patches of fur missing, shaggy and dirty as hell, with some skin exposed where the fur is missing. It looks down at us, too. Obviously, there is no way that I could hear it panting at that distance, and the source of the sound is at my feet. At that point, the flight instinct wins inside me. I have never run as desperately and as fast in my whole life. Thank goodness it was all downhill. Alex kept pace right beside me, terrified. We made it home in one piece. We didn't walk in these woods anymore. I came back to Alex's place several times in my life. I never wanted to walk in the woods again. We had amazing parties at his house as teens. I was often there rather drunk and having a great time, but I always had this very stressful sensation when I went out of this house, especially at night. When I slept over there, I had these extremely strange experiences where, when I woke up, I sensed as if something was there and was observing me. In my mid-awake state, I even saw something floating near the ceiling. It had the sensation that it was not an immediate threat, though. It was observing. I'm not sure that whatever this is was related to what happened on that dirt road. We never discussed what happened that day. As I researched it now, I see that this land is historically Algonquin land, though one source seemed to say Mohawk. If anybody can clarify what happened, I would truly be grateful. Back in the summer of 2020, I was traveling with my partner to Boise, Idaho, from Colorado, to visit his family and stay for a camping trip. This trek is nearly 15 hours long, and while you can do it in a day, it's better if you stop to rest. Having lived in Utah at one point in time, I was very eager to show him the natural hot springs in Spanish Fork. They are located deep in Diamond Fork Canyon and require a 45-minute hike from the parking lot. Still, we were both excited to get out and moving after seven hours in the car. 
When we arrived at the first parking lot, however, the gate was shut and locked tight. A sign taped to the metal read, Closed. Absolutely no access to hot springs. Fines $2,000 max. Or something to that nature. We were bummed. COVID had shut down many things and we figured that this was outside so there's no way it was going to be closed. After some research on the government website, we discovered that a body had possibly been found in the springs and was likely the cause for the locked gate. Sad and tired of sitting in the car, we drove back down the Cannon Road and found a spot to camp for the night. Most of the more established campsites were closed due to COVID or were already taken for the night. This was fine since we prefer more dispersed camping anyway. So we picked a random road to turn on as we drove closer to exiting the canyon. Road 338 Most of the road was a well-kept dirt road. We passed some promising spots near a creek and maybe two or three other people already set up for the night. We wanted to go a little further to see if there was anything with that wow factor. Sounds funny, but some sights give off that this is the one feeling. Finally, we came to a dead end in the main road with a fire mitigation road to the right. At this very spot, there was a strange boulder with some type of inscription on it, partially surrounded by a wooden fence. I had to investigate. The inscription read, Diamond Battle, June 20th, 1866. No way. A memorial for a battle that happened. Right here, a feeling of uneasiness and oddly respect washed over me. After traveling up the fire road and not finding what we were hoping for in the campsite, we decided to pick a spot by the small creek we passed on the way in. It was getting dark quickly, but we set up our tent in no time at all and got a fire going. The creek was loud but peaceful. Though, ever since I read that inscription, I couldn't shake this strange feeling. I'm not a paranoid person, but I kept feeling on the edge of my seat. Like something was watching us from the woods just across the water. As the night grew darker, this feeling grew stronger. I decided I didn't want to be in the open anymore and retreated to the tent to get some rest while my partner stayed up to enjoy the fire. I snuggled into our sleeping bag and exhaled comfortably, listening to the creek that was now much quieter and was a bit further from the tent. I started to drift off when I heard it. Soft, chanting, rhythmic drums. My eyes shot open. Was I really hearing that? I strained my ears to listen over the running water. I couldn't quite get a clear sound, but it was definitely there. This is when I noticed the ground was also rumbling, as if horses were stampeding down the road, a hundred feet from our sight. I didn't know if I should get out to tell my partner, but I had the strange feeling that if I said it out loud... It would make it more true, and that an army of spirits would spring from the trees and into our campsite. Before I could make the decision, I was dead asleep, 
This was somehow the most peaceful slumber I ever had. The next morning, we packed up our tent and left no trace that we had ever spent the night by Little Diamond Creek. When I finally entered cell service, I did a Google search of that memorial in Diamond Fork, Utah. It turns out there was a battle there between the Utes and the Mormon militia, and lives were lost on that mountainside. After reading this, I decided to tell my partner what I heard last night before falling asleep. I told him about the chanting and the drumming, and even the stomping of horses. He looked at me in disbelief and said he heard the exact same thing. I guess I was only in the tent ten minutes before he got spooked, standing alone by the fire, hearing this distant chanting and drums. He came into the tent and experienced that same peaceful sleep I had. I feel as though we were being watched over by those Native Americans that lost their lives there. A strong but calm and protective presence. If you're ever on Diamond Fork Road, I hope you visit and pay respects to the memorial of the Diamond Battle. And maybe the spirits of the land will watch over you, too. Let me preface this with the fact. My family has been in the Ozarks of Missouri and Arkansas since the Civil War. It is a weird and wonderful place with a lot of characters living in it. We're very rarely scared running through these woods, but it is probably due to the fact we know the weird woods and the oddballs who live in it. Our version of missing 411 is saying a yahoo getting too drunk on green whiskey and passing out under a tree for a day after leaving the bootleg still set up in a cave. Yes, an elderly woman was arrested a couple years ago for running a moonshine operation. Meth changed a lot of people here, but even if you turn into somebody cooking it in the woods, wet weather creek beds and mountain dew are their favorite. Just greet them and continue on your way, because they'll be gone in half a day. In the early 80s, my brother, Steve, age 16, went to northern Missouri, Flatland, with his best friend, Mike, to visit his relatives who were farmers. We grew up to be rather independent. Driving a car by age 12 was the status quo amongst country kids. So aside from being required to go to church, we were pretty much allowed to do what we wanted, and it sounds like it was no different for them there. They had a lot of fun, goofing around, and had great stories of what they did. But one story sticks out in my mind. Late one night, they were in my brother's old, hot rod Mustang, driving down the long, straight and narrow dirt roads of farm country. We live in the Rocky Hills when the road became a very tight one lane with the fence lines so overgrown with trees, they were a canopy over the road. It can be odd to see overgrown roads in that area because a fertile flatland is a precious commodity. He said they were creeping along because they didn't want to run into a dead end with a fence and tear the car up. Headlights were definitely not the same as now. And something seemed funky 
Along the road, they passed a drive with a chained-up wire hog panel as a gate. In the moonlight, they could see an old two-story farmhouse that had collapsed in on itself with a traditional big barn beside it, looking like it was going to do the same at any time. There wasn't a pole light that most people keep around, only the moonlight. They continued on as the road seemed to get even more overgrown, talking about whether they should just attempt to back up the half mile to the farm's driveway and turn around. Finally, they could see ahead that the road opened up to some sort of a clearing, and as they pulled into it, the road suddenly ended in an old iron gate with a makeshift sign reading, Coon Cemetery. They were at a graveyard. By this time, they had spooked themselves out. They were somewhat lost and had just creeped down some overgrown road to end up at a graveyard in the middle of the night. Steve managed to turn the car around and head back, going a little more quickly than before. As they started nearing the driveway to the run-down farm, they could just make out something very tall and glowing white in the driveway of the old place. As the headlights hit the drive and the apparition, they realized it was a ghostly white giant old man, around six foot four, standing by the side of the road, wearing only pants and no shoes, just calmly waving at them. Still, nary a light but the moon. They hightailed it out of there, and they both could have cared less if he scratched his car or not. He told us that over 30 years ago, and I've never forgotten it. My partner and I are avid hikers. Last July, we went on a trip and decided to camp at the spot we love just west of Shenandoah. It's quiet, off the beaten path, and offers absolutely spectacular views of both Shenandoah and portions of George Washington National Forest to the west. The first day and evening of the trip itself were nice and uneventful, though we didn't sleep super well because of the humidity. The next morning, we decided to go for a hike in a portion of Jefferson Forest we'd never been to before. It's comprised of ATV trails and about a dozen campsites, but as a trail that leads to an old fire tower, we'd always wanted to check out. It was about a 45-minute drive from our campsite, mostly on back roads. When we got there, the first thing that stuck out to us was how empty the campsites were. We actually didn't camp there the night before because we heard that the site is usually packed and we knew we wouldn't arrive early enough in the weekend to get a spot. There were only two spots taken, and one was a desiccated tent and a bunch of garbage. It looked like someone had been there for a while, but it was deserted when we arrived. In the other, there was a young woman, I'm guessing in her late teens, setting up a small backpacking tent. There was a truck and one other similar car in the parking area. We parked and started getting our gear together, and the woman approached us to ask if we knew where the trailhead was. 
I told her that we'd read that it branched off at about 100 yards into one of the ATV tracks, but we weren't 100% sure which. Since I was getting such weird vibes from the place, I kind of hoped she'd stick around and go with us to find it, but she just thanked us and took off in the general direction of the trail. We set off and walked up and down a few of the ATV trails until we finally found the walking path. We saw two ATVs shoot by us at one point, but otherwise didn't encounter anyone else, including the woman from earlier. It took us about an hour to get to the top of the mountain where the fire tower was. It's an old metal structure, and you have to climb a narrow set of stairs to get to the top of it. We got up, looked around, took some pictures, and started heading down. Honestly, the view was kind of a letdown. About halfway down, very suddenly, everything stopped. The birds, the bugs. It was dead silent. And I don't know quite how to put this into words, but it felt like the ancientness of the forest was contorting and crushing us. I felt trapped and cornered in spite of the expanse around us. My partner and I looked at each other and wordlessly started to book it out of there. We started running back to the car, but the feeling only followed us. As we were rounding one of the switchbacks, we heard this unearthly shriek, like a cross between metal on metal and a choir screaming off key. And then we saw something. I just got a glimpse of it before we blacked out. I don't know how to describe it other than it looked huge despite clearly not taking up much physical space and moved in writhes and flashes. It didn't have a color. It just felt like evil and emptiness. I probably only perceived it for half a second before my memory just completely gave way. When we came to, we were sitting in the car and two hours had passed, double the length of time it took us to get up there. I don't know if we lost consciousness or just somehow blocked those hours out. I learned later the exact same thing had happened to my partner. Both of the cars were next to us in the parking lot, and there were still just the two tents at the campsite. The woman wasn't in hers, and it looked exactly the same as she'd left it. I think about her all the time, and have spent a ton of time trying to figure out if someone went missing around the time of our trip. It took a few months for my partner and I to talk about that day. Some of the stories I've seen posted on this sub have made me feel so much less alone. We still love to hike, but honestly, haven't been able to in the Appalachian forests since this happened. I'm curious if others have had other experiences like this. About six years ago, I was in fantastic shape and used to take my then-toddler on long day hikes in our local woods or state parks around Oregon. One Saturday, we decided to do a 10-mile loop around the local reservoir. We packed a lunch so we could stop midpoint. I also always packed my kiddo a second set of clothes due to their 
proclivity for finding gross things. As was usual, said toddler had a lot of energy at the beginning of the hike and would run 20 yards or so in front of me, stop to look at plants, help me identify things near the trail, and of course find a good stick. After about three miles, the four-year-old wanted to be carried for a bit. No biggie. Hoisted the Todd up onto my shoulders and off we went. We reached the half-mile point. The day was a beautiful April day in Oregon. We had encountered a small drizzle early on, but that just delighted the small one. Temperatures were such that a light flannel shirt was perfect and I rolled up my sleeves after walking two miles with an extra 40 pounds on my shoulders. We ate lunch and continued on our way. About half a mile after eating, my four-year-old's demeanor began to change. They became quiet and didn't want to run down the path or engage in looking at plants. I thought maybe they were just tired and our lunch break hadn't been long enough. However, we continued on. Soon, I noticed that the ever-present sounds in the woods had stopped. It was eerily quiet, and all I could hear was the sounds of our feet hitting the ground. The hair on the back of my neck started to prickle. I only had my hunting axe with me, so I found a hefty stick for myself. My four-year-old asked if we could turn around. This kid doesn't like to run, especially on loop hikes. I didn't hesitate and said yes. I managed to fit them against my back and use my backpack to keep them in place, kind of like a little baby carrier. My head was on swivel as I quickly walked back the way we came. After about a quarter mile, the feeling of unease and being watched receded. The normal noises of birds, insects, frogs, etc. all resumed. A couple days later, I saw on a local Facebook post that a logging crew who was on the opposite side of the hill we had hiked had spotted a mama mountain lion and her cub. No idea if that's what had made me and my kiddos spooked, but it was definitely the most scared I'd ever felt on a hike. We went back a couple months after that and brought my husband with us. We did the whole loop and never encountered that feeling again. This story takes place in the spring of 2016. I was living in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado and came home to spend a bit of time with my high school friends. One of our favorite things to do was camp together and hike, since we all had a heavy affinity for the outdoors. On this particular occasion, we decided to tent camp at a park on Lake Georgetown in Georgetown, Texas. It was a public campsite, but I guess because of the time of year, we were the only ones in the park. So with this, we picked a site very close to the water. We had a fun night, had a fire, drank some mead that my friend had made, used a hookah in the tent. Bad idea, coil fell off and burned a hole through the bottom. And talked about random things we were up to now that we had graduated high school. 
We ended the night by the fire, drinking and eating some canned food. One by one, each of us left the fire and retired into the tent. Me and my best friend were the last ones in. Since we were right up on the water, we filled up a bucket with lake water, separated the logs and doused the fire. Then we both drunkenly meandered our way over to the tent. I've always had trouble sleeping. Even when I'm drinking, I tend to just linger in reality for a bit. So I just laid on my back and stared at the stars through the screen ceiling. I'm not sure when I did fall asleep hours later, but I do remember waking up to a bright orange light. At first I thought maybe my friend went to grab something out of the truck and unlocking it triggered the parking lights. But this orange light got bigger and moved too close to be stationary lights. I slowly unzipped the tent flap and saw that the fire was going again. Now this has happened to me before. If you don't douse a fire enough, it can still reignite with enough oxygen or depending if something was thrown in there. It could burn for a while. But then I noticed that there were pieces of fabric and paper and this fire was going. I woke up my friends and they were all as creeped out as I was. That's when we saw, at the edge of some bush, there was a guy in a red jacket and kind of balding hair. Think Mr. Noodle from Elmo's World. Staring at us with a blank stare and a empty bottle in his hand made our blood run cold. But also, being dumb kids, we decided to run after him. But he had already started to head out before we made that decision and got away somehow. We left the next day and called whoever manages the park about the incident. We had checked the fire to see if anything was salvageable or identifiable, but unfortunately everything was incinerated. They told us that Georgetown PD would do more rounds in the park, but that was about it. We quickly forgot about it because it was a pretty one-off experience and the dude didn't hurt us directly. And of course, we all started going to college and shit, but still, it spooked us the hell out. My husband and I have always loved to go camping. We live in California and set aside two weeks every summer for a camping trip where we can get away and disconnect from the real world. Normally, we hit Death Valley for some backcountry adventures for a few days, then head up into the mountains for some fishing. On the way home, we usually stop for one last hurrah in the eastern Sierra. On this particular trip, my husband, myself, and our German shepherd, Ginger, were on the trip. We ended up finding a lake to swim in for the day, and when we got tired, decided to find a spot to camp. We were both pretty familiar with that area, and knew that there was a free campground about 12 miles up the mountain. I never liked that specific campground because it gets pretty cold at night at that elevation, even in the summer. But, whatever. It was free, and we had plenty of firewood. When we pulled into the campground, there was only one tent pitched, but we didn't see any people at all. 
In fact, for the whole evening, there was not another person in sight. I love it when the campground is empty and this was a pretty primitive and remote area, so it was rare to even see people driving past. After we got set up, the beer was flowing and very freely. We were pretty trashed, hung out for a bit, cooked dinner over the campfire and hit the sack. My husband, Dog and I were all sound asleep when we were awakened by an ungodly scream in the middle of the night. One of us grabbed the phone to see what time it was and then my husband grabbed his gun, told me to stay there and went out to see what was going on. Of course I wanted to peek out and there was one guy standing right in front of the other tent that was set up across the stream looking at the sky and just screaming. It was this loud, horrific scream and was just terrifying. Normally, something like that would prompt a call to the police, but due to being so remote, the cell signal was non-existent. My husband didn't want to go over there for obvious reasons, so he came back in the tent and I don't think any of us slept a wink for the rest of the night. The next morning, we packed up and left as soon as we could. That same tent was still there, but again, no one in sight. We actually drove past there a couple of days later, out of curiosity, and the tent was still pitched in the same spot. Still, no other campers either. This was about ten years ago, and we visit the area frequently, since we now have a cabin about twenty miles from the campground. When we take a drive up the mountain and pass that campground, the scream is always the first thing we talk about. I always wonder what was going on with that guy and why he was freaking out like that. So in 2015 or 2016, I didn't know what I wanted to do after high school and joined a gap year program in the Colorado Rockies, specifically at Snow Mountain Ranch in Granby, Colorado. It's part of YMCA of the Rockies. It was an awesome gig because although I worked, the room and board was paid for, and I spent a lot of time hiking, canoeing, and adventuring out of the resort with the friends I made there to different towns. Honestly, one of my all-time favorite memories. I have some creepy experiences in the woods, like coming across small herds of moose at night. Moose are effing huge. Hearing coyotes in the distance, feelings of being watched, but overall it was nature and although creepy, wasn't anything David Attenborough hadn't seen. The only unexplainable and creepy experience I had that was experienced by more than one person was when we hiked, but mainly drove, some old logging road to an abandoned yurt in the middle of the forest. It was Halloween of 2015, and there was a staff party. It was fun, and I went as Gumby in a full costume. But since it's a YMCA-sanctioned event, no alcohol. So we decided to ditch the party, and seven of us crammed into my friend's Jeep Cherokee to go make a party of our own. It had snowed, and my friend, who I will call Abby, 
knew about an abandoned yurt because one of our fellow staff would go out there and drink by himself, which I thought was pretty weird. But we were all gung-ho and tired of the Safeway snacks and drinks at the party, so we decided to go for it. The snow started to pick up a bit more as we went out there, but since Abby had a decent off-road vehicle, we managed. Now a bit more context on the yurt and the property. Like maybe a decade prior, there was a pine beetle infestation that killed a lot of the trees, so they had to cut a lot of the forest down. When I got there, they were in the middle of replanting, so logging had since ceased. So there was miles of older logging roads just abandoned, but the YMCA turned them into Nordic ski trails for the winter time. So the yurt was out there for people who wanted to get out of the elements if they needed. That's what I was told. I know we didn't let customers rent it because I worked at the front desk. Anyway, we drove out there drinking whiskey and blasting some Halloween soundtrack that helped make the ambience a bit spookier. Although it had been snowing a bit, there wasn't enough on the road yet to cause an issue. After a 30-minute drive into the woods, we pulled off to the side where there was a locked gate, so obviously we jumped it. We had brought pillows and blankets with us because we planned on staying the night. We had to walk another 15 minutes to get to it. It was in a really cool spot, like in a clearing and at the bottom of a cliff. It was miles into the woods and away from the main property time to get messed up. We drank and smoked for a good while and had a lot of fun. We made snow angels and had a snowball fight. We went back into the yurt after a while and continued our consumption and started telling scary stories. After a while, we started getting sleepy. We got in whatever sleeping bags or blankets we brought and tucked ourselves in. Made a couple of jokes as we fell asleep to break the silence, but after a bit, we were all knocked the hell out. I woke up early to Abby's boyfriend shaking me awake and pointed to a window. There was a shadow there. All of a sudden, we heard a loud bang like something had thrown itself onto the side of the yurt. Everyone was up now. The sound of something smacking against the canvas sides started coming from all around. At first, I thought it was snow falling off the treetops, but we were in a large clearing with no trees over the yurt. Then, we heard the sounds of something climbing up the three wooden steps and pausing. We all held our breath. Nothing. Not one sound. Abby was the only girl, and all of us dudes decided to rush the door and see what was out there. We opened the door to... nothing. It was quiet as hell. The worst part was what we found outside the yurt, which was the lack of footprints. No paw prints, no boot prints, not even snowshoe tracks. The snow had even blanketed over the footprints we left earlier. We thought maybe the wind had lifted the canvas and made it flutter, but when we checked, it was flush with whatever it was attached to, and you couldn't move it. 
It was just all around super weird. We thought maybe the staff who came out to drink by himself was behind it, but there were no boot prints. I also don't think it was the wind because me and Abby's boyfriend saw the shadow by the window and we all heard footprints in the steps. We were pretty sober at this point and wanted to go back, so we left. Never went back to that yurt, but can't say I want to anymore. In the fall of 2019, I was going through a really rough patch. I was extremely depressed and in a very dark place at the time. So when my friend invited me to go to the David Crockett National Forest within the camp, I was more than happy to oblige. We decided we would camp at the Ratcliffe Lake campgrounds for two nights, and then the third night we would stay at a free camping spot somewhere off the miles of park roads scattered throughout the forest. So the first couple of days went by amazingly. I love the smell of pines, especially in East Texas. And the campsite was beautiful, not to mention the lake. We did some kayaking and hiking, and the views really helped my mindset. It was awesome. However, on the third morning, my friend got an emergency call and had to bail out at the last second. I was slightly upset, but it didn't necessarily mean I had to go home, just because he did. So I decided to stick to the original plan and find a place to camp deep within the forest. After he left, I headed to the nearest forest information center and snagged a map. The map showed the nearby highways in the forest. I scouted a couple of park roads and made my way towards them. After maybe five miles out of town... I find a park road, which is indicated by a numbered sign and is only a dirt road. I head down it and settle in for the adventure. The road wasn't very narrow, but it would have been a hassle to move two trucks around each other, which I didn't really encounter. I kept the map on my lap and followed the road with my fingers, while also checking the road ahead for potholes. The woods got super dense around me and darker and it all kind of just enveloped my truck. I don't know how many miles I traveled before I first came across to another turnoff, but it was clear that I was super freaking deep in the woods. I traveled to where one group of campsites was supposed to be, which was a small loop. I turned down and to my surprise was met with a couple of trucks and RVs all occupants outside cleaning guns or dressing deer. Please don't come at me, I've never been hunting. It was hunting season, so I guess it wasn't that big of a surprise, but it was still very off-putting with the looks I was receiving. So I made the loop and continued on. I drove a couple more miles and found another very remote spot at the very corner of the woods. I pulled over and set up the tent in a fire and brought out the whiskey. I didn't have a great night and was burning some letters, so I got a little bit more messed up than I would have cared to be. So I ate some food, put out the fire, and headed into the tent to play the switch and wind down. It didn't take me long to fall asleep, 
and I slept hard. I woke up around maybe 1 a.m. to the sound of footsteps circling my campsite. I'm a pretty avid camper, so I just assumed it was a critter checking out the human who decided to chill in his pad without asking. I started to drift off again when I heard a low cough. Instantly awake, I just kind of laid there, listening, and the footsteps approached my truck. I had locked my truck but heard the obvious sign of someone trying the handle. Then, quietly shuffle over to the other side and try the other handle. I had a spotlight that I brought with me, so I quietly unzipped the tent and pointed my light in the direction of the noise and shouted out. I caught a brief glimpse of whomever it was, and all camo. Everything sprint off into the woods with no light. Like, they took off, and although I had no plans on following them, I scanned the brush with my light and couldn't see anything. I turned off my light to see if I could see a phone light or a flashlight, but instead, I heard very loud crashing into the brush that just got quieter and further away. So... Whoever this person was ran into the dark woods with no lights and all camo. Considering the map, the direction he ran also didn't have any more roads or amenities. So maybe he was on private property, I don't know. But I was very scared. I just collapsed my tent, screw putting it in the bag, shoved it in the back seat, and drove and drove the park roads like a bat out of hell. Once I got back to the main road, I drove four hours back to my hometown. I want to go back sometime, but with friends and maybe a gun. But yeah, that was not a fun experience and definitely up there as one of the most frightening things that has ever happened to me in the woods. I decided to go hiking in Wekiwa State Park. It's a place I'm extremely familiar with. The weather has been awful lately, so I haven't been kayaking. My time in the state park has been spent kayaking. I was the only person out there because the weather wasn't great. I was on the Orange Trail, maybe two miles in, when all of a sudden I had the feeling of being watched. I have a sixth sense for this. If I feel I'm being watched, there's an 80% chance I'm being watched. I stopped and watched for a second. As I started back in, I suddenly saw quick pace movements out in the brush, maybe 50 yards from where I was standing. Someone was trying to avoid being seen. Weird. I continued on. As I continued down the trail, I continued to feel watched. All of a sudden, as I'm walking, I hear maniacal laughter out of the bush, maybe 20 yards to my left. Now, I was the only person around. I hadn't seen another person in the entire park. This unsettled me. I quickly moved on. I tried to put it out of my mind, thinking I was just imagining things. Maybe two minutes later, I hear the same maniacal laughter off to my left. This time, it's a bit closer. 
I decided to pick up the pace substantially. Less than a minute later, I hear the laughter right behind me. There's an enormous amount of rustling and noise coming from the bush. I realize whatever it was, was right behind me. I freaking ran. I didn't look back, I just ran. Something was telling me to run, and run as far as I could. Within a mile, I was sucking wind. I had put every ounce of my energy into my escape. I ended up becoming too weak to run. I stopped for a rest. I didn't want to get bull rushed, so I turned around, facing the direction I had been running from, and took a knee. I was starting to calm down, but I still didn't feel safe. I told myself I had to keep going. As I struggled to my feet, I spotted something in the brush. A dark leather strap. I unfolded it and found three extremely sharp knives, like butcher knives, the type of knife you would use to stab someone. They were fresh too. You could tell they had been dropped there within the day. I let out an audible yelp when I realized what was inside the sheath. Real manly, I know. All of a sudden, every ounce of fear came rushing back. My body was telling myself to be very, very afraid. I knew I had to keep moving. I jumped up and ran back to civilization. I didn't grab the knives because I felt like it would add an immense amount of risk to an already dangerous situation. I had the feeling of being watched until I was a half a mile from the trailhead. Something was out there. Something knew I was out there. I'm not scared of anyone. People don't have the ability to freak me out. The fact that my body was telling me to be very, very afraid and to keep moving was terrifying. It was a primal response I couldn't turn off. So this story takes place in southeast Texas within a hundred miles of Houston. I was in college but had moved back in with my parents for a semester after some roommate drama. My parents live out in the country, miles outside of town with some acreage. The land in the back of the house consists of four zones really. You got the backyard with the nice St. Augustine. The back back, which is a section of woods my parents cleared of underbrush and kept fairly maintained. The back back back, which is a clearing we used to go back and do bonfires and parties in high school. And then the woods. After high school, my parents kind of gave up on keeping back the brush and weeds from anything except their nice backyard section. So imagine a big backyard fenced by a wall of tall weeds and large trees that goes back a while, and then a field of giant weeds transitioning into solid dense woods with oak, some pine, yappin' and briar and all that. I also had this dog that my parents let me keep outside. They had a big chain-link dog run she lived in since my parents had no perimeter fencing besides some barbed wire at the very back of the property. 
and this dog was not the type to stay in one spot. In fact, she was aggressive to other dogs, always going after them, acting tough, and I sometimes worry she'd get out and kill the neighbor's chickens. She was about 60 pounds and not a jumpy or scared dog. Since I was in college, I had no curfew or anything and would always come home late at night, early morning, after hanging out with my friends or studying or whatever. On this particular night, it was pretty cold out. 50 degrees is cold. Can't tell me any different. And even though she had a house and a bed and straw out there, I felt bad for my dog, so I decided to bring her in to sleep in the garage. I should have been more careful because this happened quite a bit, but somehow this dog always got me. She would wait in the back until the gate was unlocked, and I was in the run. Gate closed with unlocked horseshoe latch. Run around me and pop the gate latch with her nose and bolt off. So of course she did this, and my dumbass was left standing in the run in the cold in the middle of the night. I was pissed because I knew I had to go find her and bring her back. The moon was pretty bright, and I had seen her fly into the weed wall and disappear, so I followed her in without a light, calling her name. There were some little trails through the weeds that we tried to keep open so we could access the property, but these were less wide than a person can walk, and the weeds were about head taller than me, so it was dense. Anyway, I'd gone a ways and had passed through the wooded section out into the clearing, solid weeds five to eight feet tall, and I get quiet listening trying to hear sounds of where she might be out there when I hear intermediate rustling out towards the woods, which at this point are just a real tall dark outline at the edge of the weed jungle. The rustling wasn't the sound I expected since she usually just crashed through the woods. In my head I was thinking, what the hell is she doing now? Honestly thought she was probably rolling around in some dead skunk and I was going to have to bathe her. Figuring it was my wild-ass dog, I make my way towards the noise, calling out her name again. As I got closer, it became apparent the rustling was not the sound of an animal charging through underbrush, but more like something intentionally shaking the trees. Like if you would grab a yapin branch and shake it, and all the connected trees and vines would shake too. I was close enough now to make out individual branches silhouetted at the top of the tree line, and I could see that whatever was going on was causing the trees to shake all the way up to the top. This was off, and decidedly, not my dog prancing around. I shut up and froze. I hear in all these stories people talking about how when they notice the woods go silent, I can't remember if this happened or not, but as I stood there, I clearly heard two or three loud deep puffs. I guess it kind of sounded like a bull, but with a deep fluttering to it. Not like the tonal sounds a cow makes, but the deep heavy exhale when they're defensive. And seemed to come from around my head, height. For some reason, my mind registered this thing was a lot closer to me than the tree line. 
I also remember the distinct feeling that this noise was directed at me. I got this terrible feeling in my gut, like whole body fear and panic. Rational or not, I yelled my dog's name with all fear and urgency. You know how your voice gets higher and louder at the end. And turned and ran as hard as I could. Either my dog heard my tone and got scared or she was scared of whatever was on that tree line too. Because as I crashed through the weeds, she came up on my left from a creek and flew past me like a bullet. When I got to the open garage, she was trying to get in the back door to the house, jumping on it like a crazy animal. I closed the garage, put her in her kennel and went to bed. I don't know what it was, and at the time, I convinced myself it was one of those hogzillas you hear about on the news. I've been around plenty of cattle, and have never heard one make a noise quite like this. Not saying it couldn't have been, but something just did not feel right. This was like ten years ago, but I know for sure I'm still going to think real hard about it if I ever go back out there alone at night by myself again. And that, dear listeners, brings a close to these true backwood creepy stories. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you kindly. If you are awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. In the meantime, I'll read to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good night.
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.